Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Now I want you to notice, here's God's work of creation and how glorious it is. We have two things in this psalm, God's work, work and God's word. In, down in uh, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord, or the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So you have two voices here, His work and His word. And the heavens declare God's greatness and God's wisdom and God's faithfulness. You know, I, very quickly, when uh, Mary Ruth mentioned a little bit ago her son saying that he couldn't uh, believe in anything he could not see, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can see that. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. And this reveals the uh, God's uh, greatness, God's wisdom, God's faithfulness, God's power, God's glory. They declare the glory of God. In the book of Romans chapter 1, let me read a verse here for you. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him... From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, he's telling that mankind is without excuse because even God's heavens declare that there is a God. You know, a fellow that looks up into the skies and looks up uh, into the into the, all the the stars, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, and if he gets the microscopes, and I mean the telescopes, and looks out and, and looks, the powerful telescopes they have, and look out into, into this galaxy as far as we may see, and they say that there are, the scientists say, and I don't know anything about this, but they say there are hundreds of galaxies beyond our own galaxy. That, that just boggles the imagination because most of us cannot even begin to comprehend the galaxy that we, we have to, with, uh, that we have to do with. And so when we think of hundreds more of them, hundreds more of them, you see, this earth is just a little speck of God's creation. And you and I are just like a worm of the dust of the earth. I mean, when we consider God's uh, glory and God's handiwork, it makes us feel mighty small, doesn't it? We just wonder how uh, it is that we even account for anything. And the Bible says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Considering all of God's glory. And by the way, that tells us why that the, the people that are without God uh, are without excuse all over the world. And, and uh, you know... You've heard in times past how that, that every person is lost without Jesus Christ. That is true. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that everyone is lost without some witness of God. And the Bible says in Romans 1 verse 18, listen, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things, and this is what we just read, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without 
excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools, and so on. They became fools. And we could read that whole uh, rest of the first chapter of the book of Romans and show how ungodliness didn't just happen because men uh, just have a sinful nature. They have a sinful nature, but they rebel against God within that sinful nature, and they will not take any witness that he's given. They will not even listen to the word from the heavens or the message from the heavens. And so uh, for a man that who claims to be an atheist, when he looks up into the, the stars and the skies and sees everything uh, that God has created, he's either uh, an idiot or something else, because I don't know what you would call it. I mean, that's idiotic, isn't it? That, that's foolish. He's unlearned. He doesn't know anything. If he looks up into the heavens and says there's not a God. The Bible says the heavens declare. It's a word, isn't it? The glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. The, it means the watery heavens. We have. I was looking at the clouds that was driving up uh, from uh, the house. We see the clouds hanging over. There's the watery heavens. Then we have the aerial heavens. Then we have the solar heavens. And then we have the starry heavens. So the heavens declare the glory of God. And as far as we can see, there's something about the glory of God that uh, is declared. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Handiwork. It's, you know, you make, you go, if you have a shop and you have a bandsaw or, a, or a, a jigsaw or something like that, you make fretwork, they used to call it, or little intricate things and saw out wood pieces into very special designs. Well, God had a design. And He made all of this and, and it shows His handiwork. It shows His finished work. We make a building and we put up the mold uh, around the top of, between the walls and the ceiling and down at the floor and base shoe and various things and in the corners. We try to dress it up, don't we? Well, God has dressed up the whole universe for us. And yet we don't even see His handiwork. It says the... Uh, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Think of all that. And it says, so the heavens speak then in a sign language, and this is understood by all nations. In the book of Acts, let me give you another reference. In the book of Acts chapter 14 and, uh, <clears throat> and verse 17, it says this. Let's read verse 16 and 17. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Now, speaking of God suffering nations to walk in rebellion in their own ways, Acts 14, verse 16, and then verse 17 says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. Now, what was the witness? In that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. It says that this is a witness to man, that God sends his rain from the heavens and he uh, lets us get the food and makes everything uh, fruitful, uh, gives us fruitful seasons. And by these, it fills our heart with gladness. It supplies all of our human physical needs. And it makes us realize that God has blessed us with the rain and with the, the nature. Nature. We're talking about nature now. We're not even talking about the Word. We'll get to that in a moment. We're talking about nature. And back in our Psalm 19 and verse 2 says, Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Day and night, this witness continues. It's always there, round the clock, isn't it? Day unto day, other speech, and night unto night, 
showeth knowledge. Now notice verse 3 says, There is no voice, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Anywhere on this planet you can find that this message, this uh, 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 language of heaven speaks to all human beings. There's not any place around the globe that they don't realize the sun and the moon and the stars and, and these blessings that we're talking about. There's no language, there's no nation in the darkest uh, continent of the, of the world. This language is still heard and seen and known. And even the earth upon which we dwell, if the jungle was so thick we couldn't see the skies, the very fact that the trees and the grass and all the things around us would be there. And all of God's creation on this earth would testify that there is a God. The heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament showeth his handiwork. And then in verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. We find that uh, the message goes out to every nook and corner of the earth. The message of the heavens goes out to every little nook and corner of the earth. And then we wonder, and you know why men, why that we say that that uh, people are lost, that have not received the gospel, because the, the message from nature enlightens them to the fact that they know they need more than what is revealed in nature. We're going to get uh, down in a moment to what they need. But the, the reason people are lost is because they rebel against that voice and knowledge that they have. And see, God knows who has rebelled against the light that they have. Now, if they have received that light, God will send more light. Remember the, uh, Peter and Cornelius? Cornelius was over there, and he, he had received as much light as he could, but he didn't know the Lord, he didn't know the Word of God, he didn't know about Jesus, but he desired to do right. So God spoke to Peter, and he says, there's a man over there who wants to hear what you have to say. You see, God works on both ends of the line. That's why we have missionaries that go to various places. Because evidently, God has opened some hearts and they're ready to receive some word. Now, there are others that are rebellious. And men that are rebellious will not be saved. But men that are acceptable, that, that want to accept it, God will send some, some uh, special missionary to them somewhere that they might uh, hear the word and be saved. And they need to live up to the light that is revealed to them, and then God will give more light and more enlightenment. Notice it says in verse 4, Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Their line, that means the message of the heavens. Their, their line is reached. We've already covered it, and there, there's no uh, speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Verse 3 is just a continuation of basically the same thought that the, the line or the message of the heavens and the earth has gone out throughout, through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It's as if the heavens utter words. We know that they do not speak literal words that we can hear, but it's words to those that want to hear them. You see, the trouble with men is that we are sinful and we won't listen to the words of God. And you know, when I was a little boy, I'd look up on these mountains and, you know, I'd read about Noah and about uh, the flood coming. And I'd look up on, I would lived up there above the circle on top of that hill on 2nd Street, right up on the hill above the circle before you get to the care center there, right on top of the hill. I took Randy up there one day, pretty steep coming down. Anyway, 
to make a long story short, I'd look at that other mountain over there and I thought, well, if the flood comes, I wonder if this mountain's higher than that and I get on top of that one. But you see, God could speak to me, and of course that was the word, but even so, just a very little enlightenment, not even knowing much about the Bible, but just hearing about there was a flood, you know, and God flooded the earth. I was going to look for a high place. And you know, uh, that's, that's God's... God's voice speaking to us, not only through the word, which was the case of concerning Noah, but it was also telling me that, you know, if this did happen, you better find a place where you wouldn't be drowned. So even as unwise as that was to think that I could hide from the judgment of God on a little higher mountain, still it's in people's minds. So when you get more enlightened, you realize, well, no, I need a hiding place, which is Jesus, right? I don't need a mountain to hide on. He hideth my soul, as Brother Curtis sang, in the cleft of the rock. He told Moses, when my glory passeth by, I will put my hand over, and you, you will not see my glory, you will not see my face, but you will see my hinder parts. And he says, when my glory passeth by, I'll hide thee in the cleft of the rock. We sing the song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, a place of hiding from God's holiness and judgment. Cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It's a good song, isn't it? So we find that uh, we need to live up to the light that God gives us. And the more more light He gives us and the more we live up to that, the more uh, we're ready for the next step of enlightenment that comes. And then verse 4 says, In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun. It's as if the sun has a pavilion or a tabernacle. And it's in his place, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. I think the sun is one of the most evident uh, parts of God's creation because it has to do with day and night. As our earth turns upon its axis, we have night now and then it's, uh, the sun is shining on the other side of the earth. And then pretty soon well, this night will be over and we'll see the sun We'll see the sun coming up. Actually, it's not going to come up. The earth's going to turn around where we see it again. That's what's going to happen. We talk about the sun rising, the sun setting. And these uh, news commentators want to be so exact in what they say. They say sun rises or something. Well, <laughs> that's what we believe because that's what we see. But it doesn't rise. It stays in the same place. And it doesn't set. We just turn around and that makes it. But anyway, the thing about it is God has set some things in place and they're wonderful in their working. And uh, the sun is the most glorious object in the sky. And it's typical of the Son of God, by the way. The sun itself, S-U-N, is typical of the S-O-N, the Son of God. Malachi 4 verse 2 says this, But unto you that fear my name, I want you to notice how this was written, Shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in His wings? So it's spelled S-U-N, but it's referring to Christ, the S-O-N, Son of the living God, who shall come forth as the Son of righteousness, shall arise with healing in His wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet, and the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the appearing of Christ. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. And so the sun in the heavens, uh, in the op- this glorious object in the sky is typical of the Son of God. 
We could go on and on. There are other references, but our time is getting away. Uh, the sun is always glorious and never seems to be weary or exhausted. This is typical of Christ too, isn't it? It's never. It says, uh, cometh out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man uh, to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Just the right amount of heat in every part of the universe is given off by the sun. If we were any closer to the sun, very much closer, we'd be always burning. And if we were further away, we'd be freezing. Kind of cold out tonight, isn't it? But anyway, because the sun is not shining upon us. But the thing about it is, if we'll understand that God has uh, given this sun a glorious appearance and it never seems to be weary or exhausted, it's always there. The heat of it's always there. And it's typical of Christ. Bible says, wherefore he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7. The sun radiates its influence over all the earth. Life would be unbearable without the sun, would it not? So it is with the Son of God. Life would be unbearable without Christ. Real life would be unbearable without Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 9 that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. On down in verse 9. Uh, let me read uh, John chapter 1 and give you the whole thing. I could quote from the first verse, but let's make it specific to the, to the ninth verse. The first chapter and the ninth verse says this, that, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John 1 verse 9. Be good to read that whole uh, section. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. Think of the sun now. And the darkness comprehendeth it not. Think of Christ and His light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He was uh, that all men through him might not might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And it says, uh, "That is the true light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world." So we have a light from Christ. The Bible tells us concerning Christ that that uh, we need that light. In the book of 1 John, let me read a scripture for you. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, and verse 8, it says this, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true from in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. The darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. You know, the Old Testament, the, the people were basically in darkness. They had what revelation they had. But the true light now shineth since Christ has come. And we have a greater enlightenment than we had before. By the way, if uh, David could write and say all these things about the light that he had, what? how much more about uh, the light that we have today? Now I want us to notice... Uh, verse 6, it says, His going forth is from the end of heaven, His circuit to the ends of the earth, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Verse 7 brings us to the Word. We had the work of God in creation, now the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We're going to have several uh, statements concerning the Word of God, and they're all under a different heading. 
is spoken of as the law of the Lord, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. And all of these indicate the word of God. What does it do? It says the law of the Lord. That means the doctrine of the Lord. If you have a marginal reference, it says doctrine, not just law as under Moses. But the doctrine, the whole teachings of God's word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It transforms the life. We talked this morning about what changes people. It's the Word of God that changes people. And it's listening to the Word of God and letting it do its work in your heart and soul and life that changes people. It regenerates. Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The new birth takes place as a result of the living Word of God and the written Word of God. Christ is the living Word, but that written Word has life to it as well. And it brings everlasting life. And we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In Luke 16, verse 31, remember the rich man says, Send back Lazarus to my brothers that they can hear this message and they'll not come to this awful place. And you know what the word was in Luke 16, verse 31? He says, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, listen carefully, neither will they believe, neither will they believe, though one rose from the dead. You hear people saying, if I could see a miracle, if I could see someone resurrected, if I could see this great uh, sign from God, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. You really wouldn't. Because the Bible says, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, if you will not hear God's word, neither will they believe, though one rose from the dead. And one did rise from the dead. In fact, Lazarus did, and Jesus also. Jesus rose from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But Jesus rose from the dead, and they didn't believe. And so we find that all of this is just uh, uh, what men use as an excuse. And the, the rich man was told, well, no. He says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, uh, neither will they believe the one rose from the dead. We have to realize that it transforms the life, the effect of God's word. Second Timothy 4.2, Paul tells Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. In other, in other words, make that uh, teaching of the Word so that people understand what you're talking about. And he says, preach it. He didn't say preach uh, 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 the things that you hear on the news all the time. Bring a message on current events. You know, we could do that. Bring you up to date on the news. We've got enough uh, good news commentators, or at least enough news commentators, <laughs> to bring you up to date. I think a big part of them are biased and they tell it like they want it told. But nevertheless, you get a little part of it, don't you? And you better read between the lines when they tell you. I'll guarantee you that. They argue over some of the most foolish things I ever heard about in my life. They bring it up and make it a matter of real serious discussion. And it means absolutely nothing. They just well shut up. There's nothing There's nothing there. There's really nothing there. Argue about the guy trying to print a book. My goodness, who doesn't have a right to write a book? I don't care if he's the poorest guy in the world or the richest guy in the world. He still has the right to write something if he wants to. I'm not going to say everybody will buy it, and that's none of my business. But anyway, we've got our rights, haven't we? Whatever you are. Uh, and it makes wise men 
uh, out of the simple. Notice down here it says, converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is, is sure making wise the simple. The Bible says the word of God is able to make us wise unto salvation. Paul said to Timothy, and that from a child, listen carefully, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And Timothy had known this from infancy. And the word child there means from an infant, from a very small child. So it makes wise men out of the simple. And it says in verse 8, the statutes of the Lord, and by the way, all these, the law and the testimony and the statutes, all of these are, are words that indicate the word of God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It brings joy to the heart. God's truth appeals to our sense of reason, but it also appeals to the heart. It has to do with our heart. It's a heart matter. Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So it appeals to the heart, doesn't it? I have a multiplied number of references. Psalm 119, verse 128. Let's see if we can get this one. 119 and verse 128. Notice what it says here. It says, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. The psalmist says, All the God's precepts, I esteem them, I count them, I evaluate them, I hold them up, I esteem them to be right. And I hate every false way. You see, there's good and evil, isn't there? He not only loved the truth, but he hated the false. Some people love the truth, they love the false, and they love all in between. In other words, just, it's just all love, regardless of what people do. Well, love is one thing. Truth is one thing. Falsehood is another thing. And we should hate every... Uh, you know when it speaks of Jesus? In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, but unto, listen carefully, but unto the Son, the Son of God, He, God, Unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now listen. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And he says, Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness, the Holy Spirit, above thy fellows. Because Jesus loved righteousness, but he hated iniquity. You see, we don't have a lopsided God. We have one that loves good and he hates evil. And, there, and you know, when you and I come along that way and people say, well, you know, you've got to love everybody and everything they do. No, I don't have to love everything they do. It's not right to love everything they do. Some of the things they do, I don't like. And the preacher, when he gets up, ought to be in love with God and, and mad at the devil. He ought to hate things of the devil. And, you know, we hate evil. We hate sin. Jesus did. He tells us to follow in his steps, that he's the example. And God's uh, truth appeals to our sense of reason, but it also appeals to our heart. Now then, it brings understanding to the mind. Look at verse 8. It says, uh, uh, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That means it brings understanding. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Listen, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And it says, what is the exceeding riches of his uh, glory? Let's see, I may not be quoting it just right. Uh, Toward us. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1, let me give it to you, verse 18. It says, 
the eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So it enlightens the eyes, doesn't it? Hold your place in Psalm 19. It says now in verse uh, 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. We're talking about cleanness. It helps to purify the life. There are no errors or flaws in God's word. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's word endures forever. The Bible tells us in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. The word sanctifies us. It purifies us. One said, Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There are no errors or flaws in God's word. It needs no amending or additions. By the way, we have people amending it today and adding to it today. It needs no amending or additions. We say some of them call them new translations. But they're so new that they've lost the old a lot of times. I heard one quote a verse of scripture uh, not too long back from one of the Psalms, I believe it was. And, and when he got through, and by the way, it was Dr. Stanley. And he, he, you know, I love his preaching, but I'd like for him to use a, a Bible. I'd like for him to use the King James Version. But, it, you know, he quote, read a Psalm, and when you compared the word that's given in our Bible... It had no bearing upon what he was saying at all. And he's a good preacher. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that I, I believe in God's Word. Uh, and I believe the King James Version is the best translation we can have. And if you need to study more, take this Word and study all the ins and outs of the Scripture. And you'll come to, to uh, bear upon the, the spirituality of this book, this the Word of God. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that we stick to this Bible, and if we need to study otherwise and bring other things into it for understanding, it's a lot better to do that than it's to go to the other sources and leave this one out. And that's what a lot of people have done. Harry Truman said one time, he's concerning the King James Version of the Bible, he says, I don't understand why when you have a perfectly good thing, people want to come along and mess it up. And that's exactly what a lot of them have done. And they come out as translations, and a lot of them are nothing but commentaries. And they write Holy Bible across the front, and then they tell you that they have a copyright on it, and this and that and the other, and they got all their rights. And you can't even quote a part of it without their a certain number of verses without their permission. You can't write it down and transfer it to someone. Well, there's no strings attached to this. You can say all there is in it, brother, to anyone, anywhere, anytime. There's no strings attached. No one has any copyrights. You just read it and preach it because it's God's revealed word. And we ought to stand upon it and stand for it. And I'm tired of these people messing up uh, the Bible that we have. There are no errors or flaws in God's word. It needs no amendings or additions. It is more precious than gold. Look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Look, gold and much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You can have gold, you can have more gold, and you can have much fine gold. You can have gold and then more gold, much gold, and that this then much fine gold. You have good, better, and best, if you want to put it that way. And God's Word is like that. And it's sweeter also than honey 
and the honeycomb. Was not it Isaiah, I mean Jeremiah, that said, Thy word was found, and I did eat it, and it was sweeter than honeycomb. It was sweet to my taste. Let me read in Jeremiah, see if I can find it. In the book of Jeremiah, about chapter... Uh, see if I can find it. Jeremiah, chapter... 15 and verse 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me. Now listen, the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord of hosts. He says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy words were unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. When we find it's more precious than gold, and there is no substitute for it. Let's go and look down in verse 11 now and read this. It says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Our time is passing away. But notice this. It warns to flee from the wrath of God. It warns God's servants. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. God's word warns us of sin. And in keeping of them there is great reward. It brings rewards to God's children. There are rewards to be found in obedience to God's word. There's a great reward for those who will do God's will as revealed in the Bible. Then we find David's prayer. Verse 12 through 14. Notice. This is an appropriate prayer in view of what we've just studied. He says, Who can understand his errors? Do we understand our errors? We know the heavens declare the glory of God. We know the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Verse 7. And we've had an exposition on both of these, the heavens declaring the glory of God and the law of the Lord and the word of God and its effects. And then he says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. David desired uh, cleansing from the sins that he was not conscious of. Someone says, well, I don't, I haven't, you know, today I've lived a pretty good life. I didn't sin. Sometimes we sin when we don't know we sin. He says, uh, cleanse thou me from secret faults. A lot of times we sin, not no, even knowingly. Maybe not sin willfully, but not knowingly. And uh, so we need cleansing day by day. That's why Jesus taught the disciples to wash one another's feet. And he was teaching a lesson. He says, you don't know what I'm doing now. So it evidently wasn't the washing of the feet. By the way, we have a church that practices that now. That's okay, right, if they want to do it. But anyway, it was symbolical of the fact that of forgiving one another and ministering to one another and realizing that we need daily cleansing, basically. See, Peter says, wash me all over. If that, you know, he says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you, ha- I, have, you have no part, I have no part with you. You have no part with me. And, Jesus, and Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but my head and, just, and all over. He says, I want you to just give me a bath because I really, I'm dirty all over. And Jesus said, he that is washed or saved need not saveth wash his feet. He needs his daily cleansing because in walking in this world, we get daily contamination. And so we need to confess our sins. He was talking about really confessing our sins on a daily basis, realizing that we have secret sins and secret faults. And then in verse 13, uh, David says, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let not them have dominion over me. Don't let anything dominate me. Do not let sin uh, dominate me. 
Remember Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 6, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. It's not going to have dominion over you because you're under grace. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. After we have confessed all known sin, there will be things that God sees that we are not aware of. David desired the grace of God to keep him from doing what he knew was wrong. Some sins are greater than other sins. And a deliberate sin is worse than being overtaken in a fault. A deliberate sin. He says, uh, let not them have dominion over me. Then shall I uh, be upright and, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The Bible says that we brethren can be overtaken in a fault. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. The Bible says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So when a brother is overtaken in a fault, we're to try to restore him to fellowship with God. And it says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, there's no one that's above temptation. There's no one that can can stand uh, in the proper circumstance, in the proper time, without really having a battle against temptation. And so we need each other's help. And it says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And then David desired pure words and pure thoughts. Look at the last verse. Let the words of my mouth, that's pure words, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, my rock. My strength and my redeemer. The word strength indicates, as we taught in the last psalm, rock. He's the stability. Now notice that again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. He desired pure words and the pure thoughts. Do we desire pure words and pure thoughts? We need to watch our words and we need to, to uh, filter things out in our thought process. Our words... You know, I think of words. Words can hurt. They can cut deep. We need to keep our words. Uh, I think I gave you this at one time before. Be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. For you never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. So, brother, keep them soft and sweet. And then your thoughts. You say, well, I had an evil thought. Well, weed that out and get... God's pure thoughts. And the more you stay in God's Word and the more you stay in prayer, the 